Welcome back to another episode of Critical Conversations in the C-Suite. I'm LaDawn Townsend, your host, and excited to bring to you today a conversation I had with Bruce Reiseman. He is a chef, speaker, teacher, entrepreneur, trendsetter. And in this conversation, we're going to talk about what many business leaders have been talking about around this time is how do you pivot? How do you stay in the forefront of your client's mind, your potential client's mind? And Bruce gives us a great example of how to do that. Bruce is one of California's wine country's most sought after chefs and at a foremost speaker on the subject of food and wine pairing. Reiseman has been a chef and a presenter in Italy, Hong Kong, Thailand, throughout Canada and the U.S. for organizations that include Slow Food, NACE, Boston Wine Expo, Darden Restaurant Group, Marriott, and Gallo Wines. He has been the guest chef three times at the prestigious James Beard House in New York City. Bruce's career began at the CIA in Hyde Park, New York, where he graduated with honors. Originally from New York City, Bruce was a chef and co-owner of the New Deal Restaurant in New York. He also was a part of Prospect Park in Santa Rosa and Buena Sierra in Petaluma. Bruce's main business for the past 30 years has been an owner and executive chef of Park Avenue Catering, the most highly regarded catering company in the North Bay Area, serving sophisticated Sonoma cuisine sourced from local family farms whenever possible. He has since expanded his catering brands with Stellar Catering and Park 101 Mobile Kitchen. We're going to talk more about that in our conversation on today. Bruce's experience as an entrepreneur and as a chef are marked by his passion for sustainability, culinary arts, quality craftsmanship, and technology. Today, we're going to dive into this and so much more with our guests. Let's go ahead and hop into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Critical Conversations in the C-Suite. I'm LaDawn Townsend, your host, and I am excited today to have with us Bruce Reiseman with Park Avenue Catering here in California. Bruce, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here, LaDawn. Thanks. Wonderful. Well, Bruce, our Critical Conversations in the C-Suite is really a way to where we bring leaders to our audience uh, that have successful organizations and have had to make many different changes and growth as they scale their organization. So before we hop into all of that conversation, tell us about your story. How did you come to becoming a caterer? Um, and would love to learn more about your journey getting to that point. Okay, so I'll, I'll start backwards. I'll start from present day and I'll work my way back. Uh, I've had Park Avenue catering now for 30 years. Uh, in the last year, uh, just, just at the end of 2019, I took on a partner for the first time. Uh, so right now I'm half owner of the company itself, but I've run it for 30 years, uh, starting in about 1990. Um, I had two restaurants here in California, actually three. The last restaurant I had, I sold beginning of 2019. It was called Park 121. I had that for seven years. When I first came out here, 
in about 1986, I, I came out here to open a restaurant in Santa Rosa, a place called uh, Park, uh, uh, Prospect Park Restaurant. And about three or four years later, we opened a second restaurant in Petaluma nearby. Uh, and that was called Buona Sera Ristorante. So I had the two when I started the catering company. And about several years in, the catering company was growing. Uh, we, we were selling the, the initial restaurant, Prospect Park. And so I sold my shares of Buona Sera to my, at that time, now ex-partners. And I bought out the catering company and stayed with catering throughout. But I grew up in New York. I went to the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York, graduated from there, had restaurants in Manhattan as well, Manhattan and Brooklyn Heights. And so that was kind of my background. That's where I came from. And uh, I kind of fell into catering because as I was running the restaurant, we got requests out here in, in California. And I'll never forget the first wedding I ever did. It was for like 40 people. And I spent sleepless nights. I had a piece of paper and a pen by my bedside. And I'd wake up in the middle of the nights and I'd write another note down of what I needed to bring. And it's, it's kind of funny if you think in terms of where you started and how where I am now is, is quite a different ballgame. Well, let's go back to your New York days. I love New York. Um, I think New York has a certain energy to it, just like California, you know, completely different ends of the spectrum, but it has a certain energy to it. What made you want to go into culinary school? Well, I was a um, chemistry and electrical engineering major in college and decided that was not the career path I wanted to go into. Okay. Um, my father was in the, the fast food restaurant business. Uh, my grandfather, you know, my, my father's dad was also in that business. So I kind of knew that a little bit. Wasn't necessarily what got me into it, but I think I was a little more comfortable with it. But for me, uh, I got into it as a chef. So I've always been artistic. I've always been very hands-on. I'm very tactile. Uh, and I like the science of it. And so all of those pieces kind of fit in. Uh, and then I learned a little bit about, at the time, the Culinary Institute had just started really reaching out. It was early on in the days of, the, you know, of that kind of culinary outreach. And I, I realized that I was looking for something and they offered a great opportunity there. You know, I remember, I remember hearing, they said they, they averaged 2.5 job offers per graduate. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It might lead to a path of something I like. And if not, it's always just another thing I could learn to do that I could always fall back on. But it kind of hit all the spots for me. Art, tactile, science, all of that kind of fit in all at once. So that's what got me involved. And once I started at school, I realized how much I really loved it. And, and I just stayed with it. And, um, just really enjoyed it. Always have. And really, it's, it's you know, I'm fortunate that I, I love what I do. And I've always loved what I've done. And that's a, a pretty lucky place to be. I love that you started in the kitchen <laughs> as your entrepreneurship journey, mm -hmm. because as a leader of an organization, it's like running in a kitchen, right? If you want to make sure this pot is boiling and don't burn the sauce and get the plates out. 
when you started to open your restaurants, what was something early on that you found that as a leader um, was really key to the success of your restaurants? Well, I think one of the keys was that I, I could, I didn't really have to lean on anybody too much. I, I had a very overall uh, good understanding of every part of the business. Uh, and that allowed me to have to hire people and have conversations from a point of view of where I wanted to take the business. Yeah. I didn't ever, I can't ever remember having to lean on somebody who had an area of expertise that I was clueless about. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I never, I never fell into that trap of being guided maybe in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've always kind of been the, the, the leader of my own ship because of that. And, and part of that is, you know, being a chef, I understood and had command of the kitchen, being somebody who knew and learned the business end of things and was comfortable with numbers, all of that kind of fit in. So I could hire people to do things that I needed to have done without really just, just kind of worrying about whether it was going to be what I wanted it to be. So. Now, when it comes to hiring out your team, this is an area I'd love for us to dive into. You know, you're a very strong leader in your actual skill set of what you do and then also running your business. What would you give as advice to those leaders who need to grow out their teams in areas where maybe they're not the biggest strong suit in that, but they know they need the resource? How can they, what should they be looking at in order to make the best decision with expanding out their team? Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that question. And that's because what's very unique about the catering business is on, say, a busy Saturday, I can have six or seven different teams out there in the world doing events. And because of that, I can't be everywhere. So I do have to learn to trust the team. Okay. So I hire by personality more than I hire by experience. That's number one. Okay. I, I, I look at a person and I kind of understand who they are uh, and, and whether they fit what I need, you know, and over the years, you kind of learn that you find certain times you find somebody with a skill set that is, they're very talented. They know what they're doing, but they're, they're about themselves and they're not about the team. And, and that's a red flag to me. And it has always been. Yeah. Uh, the other part is, is that, I, that I really start people more from the ground up. I do more hiring from within than anything else. Uh, mainly because it's, it's I, I, you know, I call brainwashing. I said this, you know, you're going to come to me and you're going to know how to do, you know, in the kitchen end of it, it was a really easy one. I would say, listen, you've cooked steaks and you've cooked chicken a thousand different ways wherever you've worked. But when you come to work for me, you're going to cook it the way I do. You're going to learn why I do it. And then three, four months down the road, if you have a better way of doing things after you understand the what and why about what we do, I am open. I'm completely open. So whoever it is, they need to embrace your message and your organization first, then bring to you with the educated knowledge of the why and the what about what you do, how you can improve it rather than walking in the door and saying, I know X, Y, and Z, and this is a better way. So that's what I mean by, you know, hiring by personality. 
and, and the other part is, you know, you also have to learn to give people, you have to trust people to do the job right. But at the same time, you ha I give people total access to me. So, you know, the, the best thing that ever happened to me was the ability to carry around a cell phone or have earlier than that a pager or whatever it was. Because yeah. if anybody needed to know anything, I said, listen, it doesn't matter. Call me because I can give you advice. I can give you an answer or I can come down and help you. And I'm always willing to do whatever it takes to do it right. And because of that, most people don't ask me to do it because they, they understand. And, and the question is, how would Bruce do this? And that's the answer. And if you don't know that answer, ask Bruce and he'll help you. Uh, and then it's a matter of really growing the team is, is longevity. And that's been the success for me is I appreciate the value of everybody who works for me. And the longer they work for you, the more, the more everything meshes, you know, unless you're holding on to somebody who you shouldn't hold on to. And that's something you have to remember as well. So 30 years in business, I love the examples that you gave. I think it can be applicable for any industry that a leader's in. So 30 years in business, there's probably a few secrets you have in there of success. And what I'm hearing the biggest thing is around empowering your team. So having that open door mentality for them and, and, and rule, but you empower the team. What, do you, what have you found in, over the 30 years when it comes to the team, when maybe things aren't gelling together? And, and this question I wanted to ask because a lot of our audience has broader teams or satellite teams, or now, um, as of the time that we're recording this we're sort of in the fourth quarter of COVID work from home teams are extremely huge with many companies and they may not have had that culture before to where there was trust and engagement what is the key you would say in building a team that trusts and can work together towards the goal without the leader having to micromanage interesting question on that one. And I have to start it by saying that I'm, I'm not a believer that remote work is necessarily going to be a success for a lot of companies. I agree. Because I really believe in the energy of the team. And the energy of the team is only there when there's space for nothingness. I guess you can put it that way. You know, you and I can be on a phone conversation. Uh, it's a little better with Zoom because you're in front of somebody, but still you fill the gaps because it doesn't allow for the gaps to be there. But when you're in an environment and working together with your, your peers, items, things come up, you'll more quickly ask a question uh, of somebody else and, and the conversations become very valuable and help to steer people toward the right decisions. And also that's the way you incorporate a new employee. You know, I mean, it's inevitable that people do leave. And when they do, how do you bring somebody, you know, the most important part, I guess, of, of this part of our conversation is what I do to try to maintain corporate culture. Okay. And there are some employees I have, most of them, but certain ones who 
exemplify what I believe is our corporate culture. And what we do as a team is when we bring somebody new into the fold, we make sure that they're around those people so that they understand the philosophy of how you look at your clients and how you interact and even the words you use, you know, and, 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 and the respect that you give towards coworkers, employees, and, and people who might otherwise be looked at as somebody who has a lesser of a job. Mm-hmm. And, and in my company, we appreciate the fact that anybody who's giving their all is extremely valuable to the company. And the other thing is that you never really know what they have to offer because you don't know their life. And, and there's so much perception and, and value that you get from everybody. So in, in this remote environment, I mean, you know, what we're doing is every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, we have a, a Zoom meeting. I have eight full-time salespeople and I think three or four other admin people. We're all on one call. I'm on the call with my partner and uh, we're all there for an hour, just kind of catching up and talking. Uh, Diane, who's in charge of my sales team, she has at least one other meeting with the team. And I'm not big on meetings because unless there's a value and a goal towards a meeting, then, you know, I don't believe in wasting time. But in particular in nowadays, those meetings and that the, the connecting several times a week with your team is critical. You know, uh, the policy here at my company has always been that we provide lunch for everybody and it's cooked by my kitchen staff. They make whatever it's going to be. And usually the office team sits up in one group and the kitchen team kind of sits by the kitchen area. But the conversations that you have inevitably are not just around personal things, but they're around business and about gelling together and, and, and everything that goes along with it. I don't know if I've answered your question. You have. You've given okay. some good insight and to hear your team coming together, because there's a few things that are happening within organizations that are doing a lot of remote work. One, I'm hearing the terms I'm zoomed out or I'm virtual meeting out, right? So that means the engagement with the team may not be as high, but it sounds like your team, you had a strong employee culture before, which it wasn't even employee culture, it was the company culture of doing a job well done. And, and I can get the sense of that standard of excellence that's put into your work with also the understanding that you're going to ask questions, you're going to need help and we're here. Um, and so to hear that your team is having this and to have a large team is something I think our audience is definitely needing to hear. So in the time of, I'm calling it the interim new normal because we're still dealing with COVID in one shape or form. We're not completely out of the woods with this because you know most analysts were projecting back in April that by September, the world should go back to normal. Well, now we're in October. And so we're really projecting let's see what happens over the next year to 18 months really and have businesses prepared for that you know a lot of companies have had to pivot a profitable pivot that they've done in the catering industry and in the restaurant industry i know food industry as a whole in the early stages took a hit but you found some extremely creative ways to continue your operations going forward um, that answer the demand of your customers. Could you share with us any type of pivots you've made in this season with your business model to still have your business there? It sounds like you still have your team going. Our audience would love to know sort of some of the insights without the secret sauce of what you've done. 
and no pun intended yeah. on the secret sauce statement. That was well done. That was well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first, the restrictions here in Sonoma County are really tight. Right now, the maximum you can do is a party of 12. That's pretty small. So, so you know, considering our company is known for doing large events, you know, and the average event is about 125, and we're the ones, if you have a party of 500, we're the ones you come to. So right now, and for the short foreseeable future, that's out. And so we've had to make some serious pivots on, on what we're doing. Uh, you know, and we've always been a very philanthropic company. So we've always given back to the community. Uh, and, and therefore, I've had some ideas of things that we could possibly do that in our case now may not be completely philanthropic, but helps, helps the community and at the same time keeps my team going. Well, number one is we realize that the, the best we can do right now is kind of hold even. Mm -hmm. as close as we can come to losing as little money as possible right now is really the goal to maintain the team so that six months from now or four months from now or eight months from now, we are still the same Park Avenue catering that we were six months ago. COVID. Right? Yes. Because if, if, if the name stays, but the core team disappears, you have nothing. You're yes. no longer the same company. You're almost a startup. Right? And you've got a core team with you for a long amount of time. Your core yeah. team, I believe, my, we were talking well, before our interview. If you look at my, my sales team, out of the eight people, I think the newest has been with me for five years and, uh, and it ranges up to 24 years. And in the kitchen, my chef has been with me over 20 years. I've got a lot of people in the 10, 15, and 20 year range. Uh, and then a ton in the five to 10 year range. So the longevity is critical. I mean, that's what, that's what keeps the company going. And it's, it's that part of the business that my job is to just keep them here, keep them employed, keep them, them earning money so that they can stick around. And then we get back to normal, hopefully, you know, and, and, and then things move forward. The company then starts to profit again uh, and we're fine. You know, fortunately, you know, we're, we're in good financial shape going into this. So we're able to weather the storm, but you know, that, that it's, it's not a matter of pivoting and saying, well, now we're doing as well as we were before, not in our industry at least. But what we're doing now is, so we're just about completed with the harvest season. We were doing about 1,000 harvest meals a week. Uh, there's a, an organization called Catholic Charities that feeds the homeless in the area. It's different homeless um, shelters. And we've teamed up with them. And we're doing about 1,200 meals a week for them. And there are several other organizations who've been needing help as well. And so they're not free meals. They're, they're, they pay for them. But it's at a you know, reduced rate, at a rate of, uh, that we, we don't usually work in. But what it's doing is it's paying food costs, it's paying labor, and it's paying to keep the lights on. And that's great. So as long as we can do that, plus in addition, we've got a lot of little things going on. We're doing called micro, micro events, parties of up to 12 people, and we're doing pop-up restaurant style events that follow all the COVID procedures, 
strictly and so that everything we do is completely legitimate, completely legal. I don't play games. Okay? I don't play games. Yeah. But we come up with ideas that fit and then we work it out and we're able to do some larger things in the pop-up restaurant style. So all of these little things, when you add them all up, keeps my team here seven days a week. You know, Sundays are, they're probably in at six and out of 12, but other days they're, they've got busier days. Sales team is booking for next year. Uh, and we've got actually, if, if all goes according to plan, we'll have a very good 2021. And then obviously 2022, you know, we won't start, we're starting to book a little bit of that, but we're, our booking pattern is six to eight months to a year out. So we're seeing a really good, strong year coming next year. And as I said, if we maintain the team and, and just maintain this kind of business, doing tote bags and different things, uh, you know, small drop-offs at people's homes, all of these different, different events that run anywhere from $12 a person up to you know, $100 a person, it all kind of adds up. And as I said, the philosophy is not looking at our same normal percentage of profit margin. It's looking at, okay, what do we do if all we want to do is cover everything and fixed costs? And that's really where we're going with it. And, and I think we'll be very successful with it. It's working. It's working well right now. I think so as well. I think what you're doing is you're still there in the community. So you're keeping your brand name strong and your reputation you're keeping your team strong and you're keeping the team that's been there the longest because as we come out of this whatever day that is your customers want to see and i think our pre-show chat we talked about they still see the familiar faces they, and, and and that means so much and it speaks to the sustainability of the organization for them to say wow whatever they did they're still here and people not only are going to remember that, they're going to remember the service you gave them during this time. Mm -hmm. And that is so key to know. Um, with the restaurant industry, I was reading an article uh, out of New York, maybe about a week ago, and they were estimating that over the next 90 days to six months that they were projecting um, a large number of restaurants closing that would impact I think between about 175 and 200,000 jobs, um, just because of the slow foot traffic that's coming in. If someone has a restaurant or a part of a franchise uh, that's watching this and saying, you know, we didn't even know we need to switch up our model before and, and now we're having to, what would be the one thing that you would plan, tell them to do in preparing for that? Of course, there's a logistics, you can do curbside, you can do delivery, you can do pickup meals. But I think before they execute, there's first a decision the leader needs to make about switching up their business model. What advice would you give them as they dive into looking at how they can pivot to still keep the lights on in their organization? Well, see, that's a challenge because you have to look at a couple different things. You have to look at what your goals are. Okay. So in other words, if your goals are to keep the lights on because you know, you'll come out of this and then you'll succeed afterwards and you can get by on a lower income or minimal income. That's what, that's a very different conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, here's the thing is you, a restaurant produces food. Okay. And the restaurant, the restaurant, obviously it's food and it's service. Those are the two things that it produces. So where can you provide food? Who can you provide food for? 
without them having to come to you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that part's the obvious part. They either sit inside if it's allowed or outside if it's not allowed and the weather permits, or they do curbside pickup. Now that will, some restaurants, some restaurant owners around here are doing very well with that model. And, and they're sustaining and making money at that model. The thing is outreach. And that's the key. The key is, and you know, you touched on this just before, it has a lot to do with branding and being top of mind, right? And so through Instagram or through whatever way you can or through organizations, the idea is to get your brand out there and get people thinking about you. And then it's what can you do to bring the food to them if the food's what you have. The other part is if your restaurant is a dinner only house and you have a space and you're allowed to do parties of 12 or 25 inside or whatever it is with whatever restrictions you need, if you've never considered the idea of doing that, that's another piece of the business. And then the other part of that is, is, you know, when you have a restaurant or you have a facility, a kitchen facility, you have something that's available 24 hours a day. So what can be sold online? You know, maybe now's the time to take that dressing or that sauce or that whatever product that you're well known for and that everybody said you should sell these all over the place. And maybe it's time to look at a different, you know, adding that to your model. You know, you've got a kitchen 24 hours a day, you can use it 24 hours a day. If you're not using a part of the facility you normally do, you can use it for storage of the containers or the equipment or whatever it is. Um, it's a different part of the model and it's something that very often restaurants have tight space. So you can, you're limited, but now you may not be limited for a little while. So ramp up time is, you know, is, is part of it, but whether it's selling to local markets who are willing to carry a product by a local business whom they support, right. And who they know needs another source. Maybe you get better shelf placement because of that for your spice mix or for your dressings or for your, whatever it happens to be. So, so what I would say is use your strengths and what you know, but expand it into markets you haven't touched before. That's a great idea. Now, Bruce, I'm a foodie, love food. Uh, you know, when the day comes that I can come up to Northern California, I'll have to have to stop by. I love the pop-up restaurant idea. Um, tell me, what is one or two dishes that Park Avenue Catering is known for? <laughs> I know, just narrow it down to one or two. There's so many. <laughs> it's not. That's not an easy one because it's so much about seasonality too you know it's it's really it's about what's what's fresh and what's good at the time you know i mean you know now is kind of toward the end of the tomato season so we do great panzanella salads which i love because i love tomatoes i mean this is what i make i i have tomato plants in my backyard and that's what i make at home as well so you know boy it's a tough one it's a tough one for me to pin it down. Um, hmm. 
Well, that just means that our listeners, when you're in Northern California, you have to come take a look at Bruce and Park Avenue Catering. So Bruce, before we wrap our show today, what would be any final thoughts you'd want to share with the leader that maybe they're watching this and saying it? And I've heard this from a few where they're saying, you know, we have 90 days before we fold up shop. Or, you know, if early Q1 2021 doesn't turn it around, we need to start closing up shop. Any thoughts that you would give to them if they were in a conversation with you and saying, here's where we're at. I, I know your organization's not there, but there are a lot of organizations that are saying, you know, if this doesn't, if something doesn't change, I'm not really sure if we can continue. What would you say to them? Well, I would say first, you know, you have to have that honest conversation. Yeah. You, know, you can't, you can't, you can't keep going when maybe it's not the right way to go. But what I am saying is that, there are options out there for an industry that produces food and knows how to do it safely and in volume uh, if it's if it's in the, the food industry. But I think you take your area of expertise and you just try to look and see what else you can do. And I will say that with success sometimes does come failure. You know, I, I you know, I can spend a whole nother conversation talking about what hasn't worked in the past. You know, I had a time in my business where, you know, this was 15 years ago when I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And I made some serious changes. I reduced staff. I got rid of people who were not the right ones. And I adjusted what I do. What I would say is don't assume that what you have always been doing is only way to do it. Mm-hmm. And if, it, if, if, if you really want to continue what you're doing, then you, you, you do have to, A, contract your labor pool. B, be careful how you do that. I mean, this is something in an earlier conversation that you and I had, which is the first thing that I did, you know, we've kind of changed model a little bit here, is that what you do is, you know, it's branding and marketing. You have to have your name out there. So you, you can't eliminate that part. You know, it's, it's, it's sales and marketing that has to be in the forefront and that you can't pull that back. Can't stop your advertising. You can't not get your name out there. If there's not enough to produce, then you reduce production. Right. And you can always build your production up but you, 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 you just got to be very careful at what you do about your brand and keeping your brand going, you know? So really what I would suggest is you push the brand as much as you possibly can. You keep your marketing out there and you reduce that in-house labor wherever you can. And then you make a true assessment. Uh, And then you also look at your area of expertise and what are you not doing? What can you do to change the model? You know, does your full service restaurant, I'm using that as an example because we've been talking more about it as my industry. Does your full service restaurant maybe need to become something a little bit different? Does it become to meet more of a fast casual? Um, Is there a pivot there? Is it that your community can't right now support your price point or, and do you pivot to something else in that way, because if you're good at what you do, you produce a high quality product, there is a need and a desire for it, you know? So I don't know if that 
Thank you, Bruce. That's such spot on advice from someone who's built, I mean, your reputation and 30 years in the business. Um, I always tell people not everybody sort of has the success in the first few years. You know, you've got to be really at this thing because you'll weather different storms. And, you know, we never want to see something like COVID, but there will be some impact to marketplace. There will be some impact to the industry. And I think you and your team have done a brilliant job on keeping your brand, keeping yourself visible, um, and really, you know, keeping that line, as you said, but really being able to say, we're ready for when the harvest comes, when the, when the new clients come in. So great conversation today. Bruce, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, best is my email. And that's Bruce, B-R-U-C-E at parkavcater.com. That's P-A-R-K-A-V-E-C-A-T-E-R.com. Wonderful. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being a part of our conversation today. Uh, if you're in Northern California, and if you're not, you should think about having an event in Northern California when we get back to that space. Uh, but Bruce, it's been amazing talking with you today. Thank you for being on the show. Well, Don, thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Take care.